Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today. Okay, we are back one more time at the Detroit is Different podcast studios. It is surprisingly not as cold outside for Valentine's Day. I guess uh, for those of you celebrating, enjoy, enjoy. Uh, I have something special. Uh, two strong, intelligent, beautiful black women in full effect uh, here in the podcast studios working on a lot of different things creatively, community-wise. But we're going to talk a little bit about their story, their journey, and what they do. So I have Robin Terry and Raina Baker of the Motown Museum and so much more. How are you guys? Awesome. This is, it's great to be here on Valentine's Day. Thank you. Yep. Thank you for having us. All right. So let's begin and let's kick this whole thing off to uh, starts in Detroit. What are your relationships to Detroit? Robin, what brings you to the city? What brought your family to the city? What's, what's your tie to the city? Oh, that's a big story. So my family, I'm from Detroit. I grew up in Detroit. What um, neighborhood? You know, that's always the next question. So I grew up on the west side, like Seven Mile Livinor kind of area, okay. part of Detroit, um, as a kid. So my mother's family has always lived on that side of the, um, the city. My father's family, which is um, my Motown family, you know, they've been all over the city mm-hmm. from, you know, St. Antoine and Farnsworth, which is sort of by Bethel AME Church mm-hmm. um, in that area all the way over to Boston Edison, which is um, was the last home of my uncle, uh, Barry Gordy. Mm-hmm. All right. So what house do you remember most as a kid and what neighborhood when you think about Detroit growing up? Honestly, I think about living on Chippewa with my mom, um, single parent, raised by a single parent, um, Chippewa just off of Seven Mile. Um, and I just remember that little house and thinking that that little house was everything. Mm-hmm. But with a, a single parent mom, it was modest, it was mm-hmm. humble, um, but it had everything in it that it needed. Okay. All right. Raina, same question for you. Okay. I was um, born and reared in the city. Um, my grandmother is from Dexter and Joy, so spent a lot of time there as a child, but I lived um, primarily in Boston, Edison, two different houses on the same block, Edison and Third, and then I moved to the University District. Well, I was actually in college at Howard University in D.C. when my mom moved, and so when I came back for my first Thanksgiving break, I didn't even know where I lived. So <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a an interesting story. Thanksgiving. Right. So that was my first time. I got off the plane and my dad took me to my mom's house. Um, I have lots of fond memories on Dexter and Joy Road. It's, it's a different space now, a different feeling going past that house. But um, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. I'm an old lady. So we watched Murder, She Wrote together and we drank hot cocoa. <laughs> At her She's house. not really an old lady. <laughs> old soul. <laughs> but I think that that area really shaped my, my character. I remember community. 
Um, I remember my grandmother cooking for everyone. If there was ever a person in need in that area, they always came to my grandmother's house. Um, they knew that they were loved, supported, that they wouldn't be judged. Was it always safe? No, because my grandmother literally opened yeah. her doors to anyone. Um, so that has cautioned me a little bit as an adult. But I think that is it's definitely made me open and empathetic to people. I, I just have there's something I want to piggyback on because I think it was such a sign of the times. Mm -hmm. You were describing your grandmother and I was seeing my grandmother yeah. whose house was on Monica right off of Otter Drive. Mm -hmm. um, and that's exactly some of my fondest memories are probably not my own house, but my grandmother's yeah. house. And it was for all the reasons you just said. Yeah. Like my grandmother had 36 grandkids. Wow. We'd all pile up in this little bitty house on Monica. Yeah. And like magically like her, she'd invite anybody into her home with any kind of need. Mm -hmm. um, but she never ran out of food. Yep. And you'd just be trying to figure out like, how is it that we never ran out of food with that many people you know, just in the space, and it was just, it was love, but. And I think that speaks to the spirit of black people, but black women especially taking um, nothing and making something and then having something left over. There was always abundance yeah. with our grandmothers, but um, a lot of things happened because our, our homes were open, and so I think about my mother, who was in her 60s, but she's a lot more guarded, of course, caring and open and all of that, but she was reluctant about um, the traffic in the house because of her upbringing and that, that sense of community without boundaries, I would say. Eloquently put, you use traffic, as I am very <laughs> familiar with your grandmother's uh, home. Uh, oh, you know the actual house, uh, yeah. Dexter, <laughs> uh, and Carter. Dexter, Carter, uh, Gladstone, uh, that whole area as being a Northwestern kid in P-Town, Pingree, and all of that, yeah. uh, Columbus, that whole neighborhood was my um, my stomping grounds through high school. Uh, and then sort of still uh, there have been changes from that community, and then that kind of extends to, like, the, the perspective of, like, doing anything, uh, advocating for and offering a resource to the people. So when we talk about offering a resource to the people, and there's still people I know. I was talking to somebody uh, not too long ago, and they said, I've never been on a tour of the Motown Museum. And I'm like, all right, they're going to have you do the Supremes and the Temptations. And it's it's all of this, but all of that really took place in like a close-knit community that still uh, has the foundation and people to this day will come up to you and say like, well, you know, Michael Jackson used to be playing over there and all yeah. types of things like that. Um, what does it mean today as you all interact through the Motown Museum to see so many people internationally, but more so than internationally, uh, the Detroiters that come through those doors and experience something that is quintessentially uh, historic. Uh, it's uh, black entrepreneurship uh, and unprecedented as far as I'm concerned for the scale that Motown brought music to the world. Uh, I, I'll jump in there. The, the, you know, we're talking about homes that um, had a lot of love, made a difference, uh, embraced people, uh, created change. And that little Hitsville USA house, I think just represents everything good about community. Uh, when I, you know, think about what it represented in the early 60s, so Barry Gordy bought the house in 1959, 
But what it represented throughout the 60s was a safe place that young creative people could go, could gather and make music. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, so it was the hangout, you know, in some ways it was your grandma's house <laughs> because you went there, you got fed, the people you were with were like family. Um, and then something really magical came out of it. And so today when people come through and reflect on you know, the impact that that little house had on the rest of the world, you're instantly reminded of that sense of community and the power of community Mm -hmm. and how, um, you know, great things come from that. You know, a lot of, you know, you you also notice the pride in particular, I think, in the black community when, when we come through there and we can look at each other, see people who look like us and know that they have contributed so greatly to this world and to our culture. Um, so it's, you know, it's another powerful little house on this planet. Yeah. Okay, and powerful house on this planet, you guys journey to interact with this. So from those communities, where were you all after? What what high school, what college, what uh, between college to what you're doing? Uh, what, what's the story, what's the journey? So I'll chime in. I um, graduated from Renaissance High School in 2009 and then I went off to Howard and I graduated in 2013. My plan was to stay in DC, but DC is not the place to be if you're just freelancing. <laughs> so <laughs> really expensive there. And my grandmother was also struggling with Alzheimer's and um, my mother was her primary care provider. So I moved back to support my mom, but also because I needed my, my mother's support. Um, but I don't think that I appreciated Detroit in, that, in the same way until I left in return. So working at the museum um, is always exciting to see other people excited about the Motown story, but especially young people who didn't live Motown. Okay, now I do want you to talk about something that a lot of people talk about. Mm-hmm. Keeping talent, uh, keeping talent in Detroit, yeah. it's one of the most talked about things. When you talk about you didn't appreciate it the same way. Explore that a little bit. What, what, what didn't you appreciate and what have you seen since coming back to Detroit, because you were one of the people that, like I often say, a lot of people that have options to leave Detroit at a younger age Mm -hmm. do choose to leave Detroit. I think that Detroit has to become a a resource or a center of talent retention. I think that we push our talent out. I'm saying you specifically, not not even, you're you're speaking politician right I'm talking (laughs) Raina personally. Why did you say, I don't know, I didn't really appreciate it. I I won't say I didn't appreciate it. I think I just took it for granted. We have so many jewels in our own backyard. It was like, huh, I didn't even connect to the Motown experience in the same way because I also think we feel like we have some ownership over it. I had uncles and aunts talking about how they dated the Supremes and the Temptations. They were involved in this. So it became like a family (laughs) story. And I made it small. I I localized it until I went away and I told people I was from Detroit and they were like, oh, Motown. And they they were so excited about I recognized or I reevaluated what Detroit meant to me. Detroit, um, like Motown, represents opportunity in a number of ways. When I saw the city um, changing, um, or as people would say, revitalizing, or there's this resurgence, what was important to me was to make sure that black and brown people were a part of that conversation. And I felt like we were gonna be left out 
and are being left out in a number of ways. So that's what really made me stay. It was it was also being able to share my story about Detroit and help young people articulate why Detroit is such a powerful space. So it was more so that, not that I didn't appreciate it, I just, I've always been a diehard Detroiter, but it didn't really sink in. I didn't digest the the gravity of Detroit until I moved back. And you also now, and congratulations, you're a mom. So I am. being <laughs> a mother, and that's really where they say the rubber hits the road. It's yeah. uh, a lot of the opportunities and the options to pick. Like uh, when you when you look at segregated neighborhoods, uh, when you look at uh, redlining, and a lot of this, it kind of goes to uh, when people live as single individuals, it's a different perspective. But when people have children, that's when it's like, uh, I need to live in a safe neighborhood. Absolutely. I need to live in a neighborhood that has better schools. Basically, a lot of neighborhoods that generally don't align with a lot of black people being there. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so being that you now are a mother looking at Detroit and starting your family and 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 planting that seed here, what has given you the courage to be a young mother in Detroit and make this choice as opposed to a person feeling as though you're trapped here or forced to be here? I think that for a long time. Africans in America have been in survival mode. So part of me not being afraid, fearful to live in Detroit is that I've always kind of been cautioned that way. So I'm probably, I'm not really um, uncomfortable. I live on Seven Mile in Wyoming. Beautiful neighborhood, older, excuse me, um, older block, but the surrounding areas, like a lot of urban centers, it, it's, it's wild to be candid on Seven Mile. I don't have that sense of fear though, because, um, because of my love for Detroit, but also because I've been taught just to be cautious about my surroundings or what have you. I also am a, a single woman, not a single mom because it takes a village. So my daughter's father represented a, a, he represented protection in the household and he's not there, but he's still nearby. There, there are men all over, I feel like, who are protecting us and watching over us. And that again get, goes back to that sense of community. Um, I'm concerned about my daughter Z going to school in Detroit because Detroit Public Schools is not even Detroit Public Schools anymore, but it's so ridiculous how they've mangled this school system. But I think that again, everything, I, community is everything for me. So whether she goes to a public school or a private school, it's the responsibility of the community to supplement her education, to provide her safety. I don't think she's just my daughter, she's a village baby. So regardless of how things shift, my connection to Detroit as a, a place of community will influence my relationship with my daughter and my family at large. Deep, deep, and there's so many points that it's like, ah, I wouldn't ask a million. You could go questions. out and find any of those. <laughs> right. But uh, which goes over to Robin, you're, you're tied to the city of Detroit because that's another one of those things as well. Uh, being a person that has talent, skill sets, um, you can pick a lot of places to be. What what's kept you here in the city, and and in making that decision to be grounded here? Uh, how, do you feel like you've missed out on any opportunities? So my story is a little different than Raina's. I don't live in the city today, mm -hmm. um, and I have older. I mean, my children are older, and honestly, my husband and I made a. Um, we looked in the city for a home as really young, young parents. Um, we grew up, well, I, I won't get into all that, but anyways. Um, 
and ended up ultimately moving like to Southfield mm -hmm. and um, and since then have, have moved on even from there. Uh, but I think that my family's roots in Detroit, um, my being involved in my family's business, to your point, there are many things I could be doing, but I am very much like Raina, very committed to our telling um, as, as black people telling stories that are important to us. And I think that cultural institutions like Motown Museum, um, like the African American Museum, the Wright Museum, um, they're critical in our environments. They're critical to the psyche of our kids. They're critical to our futures and our understanding um, not only what we are capable of as people. My father had a saying that I just loved and he said if you don't know the strength you come from you won't believe the strength you have and in cultural institutions like ours have to tell that story but we have to be about more than that right so we got to tell a story but now we got to inspire and create the pathway for you to use that and move forward mm -hmm. right so it can't just be about preserving the past and so my commitment to Detroit is very much rooted in that and in my family's footprint on this city um, and in understanding how critically important it is um, to have institutions like Motown Museum in the Detroit community to be a part of this development. And not just for Detroit, but nationally to be a part of the conversation um, globally about our contributions to the planet. I'm glad you you made that point about contributions to the planet because I found when I was living in DC I was always defending Detroit outside of Motown so Motown is like the rose and Detroit's the concrete right so sometimes we um, people have an appreciation for Motown and not the rest of the city or the rest of the Detroit's contributions to the world I think that Detroit hasn't not only influenced music and the car in industry and fashion but the economy and the culture of the United States Absolutely. as a whole. And I found myself defending that all the time. And I'm like, wait a minute, how can I defend this and live in New York? How can I defend this and live in Philly or DC? I need to go back to the city and really live what it is, I'm def live in the space of what I'm defending, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, I believe that Detroit has always been provided unique opportunities in the black community just being the the amount of wealth that existed here when we talk of uh, cap dollars, so mm -hmm. cash. So yeah. wealth can be, I guess, defined in many different ways. But there was more cash here than any other place. So uh, another one of like the, the nuances in Detroit that was commonplace was, you know, black people had pianos in their living rooms commonplace yes. in the in the 60s and 70s mm -hmm. so you know when you have a piano in the living room then a child can learn to play and you know it, it extends the idea of music and, and how this is uh, i was just interviewing uh another uh man a heavyweight when it comes to history uh dan aldridge and he was just talking about from moving from Harlem to Detroit in the mm -hmm. 60s and what that was like and the difference and just the access to capital provided so many different advantages. Whereas now, that capital, that cash is not as present. 
and mm-hmm. in it is causing for new ways of looking at how to uh, culturally express yourself, how to uh, connect with people, uh, how to uh, sustain and then have this community where it's still of substantive value, but uh, not feeling as though you're lacking. Right. But, you know, I think that your your point takes us full circle back to the first conversation about community, mm-hmm. because a lot of our um, economic resources were generated out of our community. Right. So even if you take like the Gordy family, mm-hmm. they created as a family their own savings club. Mm-hmm. And that was just the kids out of the eight kids. Every month you put in 10 bucks into a little savings into your pot. <laughs> right. And if you got married, your spouse put it in. And at any point you could borrow what you put in to start your own business. That's how Barry Gordy started Motown. Eight hundred dollar loan from the Family Savings Club. It was a sense of community. We talked about our grandparents and both of them having homes where you knew you had a safe place to go. You had a meal. If you needed to collectively get something, you had a community to draw from. Um, you had black banks like First Independence Bank um, that existed for the sake of supporting community. And so I think that, um, yeah, it's more challenging for us today. I think community, um, there's something that's mainstreaming us, you know, and maybe maybe it's that climb, I don't know what it is, but, but in many ways it's diluted, unfortunately, that sense of community and that power base and that space that helps to equalize you in the way that, um, you know, our grandparents, great-grandparents were able to do um, in Detroit in the time that you're talking about. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely uh, different different things happening. I, I look at uh, Mama Shamayin or Mama Shu over right in Highland Park and what she's doing. Uh, I, I look at even what I'm doing here, but some of this, some of these acts, you know, people are like, man, you're not afraid of people, you know, breaking in and taking all your stuff. You're not, you, you, why would you do that there? Why would you not do this any other place? As I, I know uh, with my relationships and the skill sets I have uh, exponentially, even adjusting the cost of living. The, yeah. If I were to move to LA, New York, Atlanta, especially Houston or Dallas, then I would, I would open up, uh, I, I would be opening up to um, economic economic opportunities connected to land and money and capital resources as far as like equipment that yeah. I would never have here. But staying here is just like my own love and heart of like kind of going against the grind like I mostly do. Uh, and I think that it is some unique things that I'm getting in some of the stories by connecting these stories. Uh, and when we talk about connecting these stories, it's a lot happening in today, in this snapshot. And I know Raina may be able to speak more to this uh, as one of the things that you anchored connecting to the museum was a poetry program. And this poetry program is now uh, lived on for, it's. this will be the third year coming up? I think this is the fourth year. Fourth year. Fourth year coming up and four years is- Fifth year. Fifth year. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I, yeah, five, doing something actually for one day is difficult, but doing something five years uh, that involves so many different people, uh, strong institutions like Broadside Press. Uh, every time people talk about Motown, I talk about Broadside Press as I look to Dudley Randall. Absolutely. A lot of people look to Barry Gordy as far as how things go. Yeah. But 
Detroit is just full of like all these different people like Dudley Randall and Barry Gordy and the, the cohesive community that were around uh, these men and a lot of women really making these things go. But um, speak a little bit about not just that program, but other programming connecting to people today where they can get culturally expressive as it started you said uh, the Motown story of, uh, you know, people used to pick, like, would you rather uh, listen to this song or buy a sandwich? And then just, you know, that quality control. A very, <laughs> that's a very, uh, you know, it's like, man, you know, it's like, wow, you know, I'd have been mad as ever if people pick a sandwich over my phone. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I do a number of the programs at the museum creatively and educationally, but Motown Mike um, actually started before I, I joined the team. It was Robin's brainchild, and I think as a team we've just nurtured, nurtured it and given it some more water. But over. No, but think about it. When you came in, because I remember Raina, because Raina, you are one of the people that I got mad love for. When you came <laughs> in, you came in, boots on the ground, that was one of the projects. That was yep. your baby in the sense of like, yo, you do good on this, and, and for anybody listening, this is how opportunities work. <laughs> Knock it out the park when you get your first opportunity and new opportunities will present themselves. So I'm going to say this so that she's not in an awkward position, <laughs> right? Um, so Raina is right. I had this little idea in my mind about creating this poetry platform and have a cousin, Osiris, who was like, Robin, you want to do that? Let's do it. Um, I am not a poet. Both my parents were poets. But I am not a poet. What I envisioned was a seed, it looked like a little seedling, <laughs> right? It's a seed that was planted. Raina had to come into the mix. And literally when she says water it, she took something that was was modest and had hope. And it was, I mean, it was special. But what she did with it in one year's time, you, you have said nothing short of the truth when you said knocked it out of the park mm -hmm. and she continues to knock it out of the park and make it yeah, bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger every single year it blows my mind so um my hat's off to Raina because <laughs> you know it's nothing like taking a seed of an idea everybody's got seeds of ideas right mm -hmm. but to have somebody to really nurture it and and see it you know realize full potential that wouldn't happen without Raina. Yeah, and, and, and I'm I'm going to speak as uh, Raina. I'm thinking he's about to run for office. Get the political <laughs> exactly. Look, but, we'll uh, vote. Raina, uh, <laughs> you deliver, and I, just for that person listening right now, whatever that is, whatever that opportunity is, commit yourself to it. You yeah, deserve yourself that as I don't know who I was talking to, and, and more so, even if you just set the time that you're going to commit yourself to it, and and stick to it and then if it doesn't bring to life the what you want or something better then you can walk away but at least commit yourself to it because so much of this as you end up in different things as you've seen a lot happen within my organization i don't talk to you as often because you got other work to do uh starting with being a mom but um <laughs> But working with others, I can definitely tell you, nothing's better than meeting someone that yeah. is driven by a purpose and really delivers. So if you're listening, deliver. And just don't even under, you know, like don't 
half-ass anything. Like, if you're going to do something, do it. And if not, then you need to just walk away from the project altogether because you're going to lower the morale of everything involved. Right. So, thank you. I appreciate that. You both know I don't take compliments well, so I just want to run out of here. But <laughs> um, oh, I want to bring... <laughs> I want to bring this full circle and just take a step back um, because poetry has been a part of my life for so long. I've known I wanted to be a writer since I was five years old. Um, well, I, I knew I enjoyed writing since five. I went to Howard when I was seven on a Girl Scouts trip. Had no concept of journalism really, but I knew um, that writing was significant to me. And I told my mom, I'm coming here. I want to go here. And so when it came time to um, apply for colleges, I only applied to Howard. I didn't have a full scholarship. I got more scholarships after I was um, after freshman year, but I just told my mom have faith because this is where I'm supposed to be, and I absolutely believe that. Um, so, back to the writing, my parents provided that those opportunities for me. My brother is an artist, and I'm a writer. We both always had a sketchbook or a notebook, so they encouraged writing. And I think that we've mentioned Detroit being a place for entertainment and music and culture, but Detroit is also the city um, that has birthed a lot of radical traditions and creative expression. So I grew up really young protesting and writing and doing all of that, um, going to Howard and then learning about the museum's um, opportunities. I, I didn't start at the museum pro program managing. I was elsewhere. And when Robin found out I was a poet, you know, I she gave Motown Mike to me. So I'm passionate about Motown Mike because it's another platform for creative expression, but it's also something that I have that I live. I live poetry. I'm in love with words. So it was easy for me to be emotionally connected to this program. And I don't take it lightly because we're inviting other young artists, emerging talent to sh tell their story. And as a journalist, I'm more interested in helping other people tell their stories. So Motown Mike started out um, as a way to pay homage to the Black Forum label, which is Motown's spoken word arm that was active in the early 70s. So we do a number of programs. Um, the Black Legacy program um, is different this year because that pays homage to the, the business of Motown and the spirit of entrepreneurship. So we'll invite um, families to come in and talk about how their business and family philosophies have shaped you know, their organizations. But Motown Mike plays homage again to the Black Forum label and it's an awesome program because, again, it allows poets and artists to create, curate an experience um, and share their their um, sentiments about Motown. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I think that that's that's great. So like uh, now you just introduced, you just dropped a gym, something that I'm interested in as you talk about family and business as I'm three generations deep in the entrepreneurship. So I, I could definitely consider myself an outlier. I look at most of what I have as, um, you know, when people try to give me any credit, uh, I'm like, yo, I was born into this. Like, I, I yeah. it was around me for a long time. So, you know, um, so it, that is unique. So talk a little bit about the legacy program. Now, I don't yeah, I didn't mean to mix like, those what, two. What's going to happen? You oh. can't just drop that. It's <laughs> I was just trying to do a it's shameless like you, plug really like, quick. Yeah, you did just drop that. It's like, hey, so this is our first year doing this, and I'm hoping that it can be annual. But I think that a lot of people, 
of course gravitate to Motown because of the music but there's this other side and we've actually interacted with people who are like I didn't get to listen to music like that as a kid tell me about the business this is brilliant so I wanted to do a program that highlighted the genius of Barry Gordy but also celebrated his family um, who helped shape his business mind so Robin um, Robin and some family members will of course talk about the Gordy story the Gordy mm -hmm. family story their migration from the south to the north and how a multi-million dollar corporation was born from an $800 loan, but also how the family values help sustain that business. And we'll also have some other staple businesses. You have um, the Coles family from James Cole Funeral Home and the Mays family representatives right. from Mays Printing. naturally say yeah. probably the Mays family. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, along with this, you mentioned First Independence Bank, but Don yeah. Davis as a producer who grew up Motown right alone. when he moved here. He yeah. grew up on Grand. <laughs> around the corner yep. yeah and uh don and will davis and their families uh there are a lot of historic families i know robin's like that's that's what i'm like i'm like chomping at the bits to say i mean we're talking about motown it's kind of the subject matter but um to every point that we've made about you know detroit what it was mm -hmm. like um being enterprising there are a lot of black families that were enterprising in Detroit, not just Motown. You know, Motown is the one that's that has a global reputation, but West Grand Boulevard is flooded with black-owned businesses that have been there in many instances as long as Motown and sometimes longer. Yeah. I mean, you have Brazelton's Floors, Lewis and Thompson Insurance yeah. Agency, Dr. Yeah. Kegler is on the boulevard. So um, it is historically a um, a black owned business district. Mm -hmm. And we haven't even begun to talk about spaces like Paradise Valley and other spaces where, you know, we were in, you have a community of enterprising people. Um, and to Raina's earlier point, most of them were running businesses, building businesses out of little homes. So we were being resourceful and creative um, and contributing. So I just wanted to add that. And the fact that this legacy, um, program is really about celebrating that spirit of entrepreneurship. So Motown is on equal footing with all of the other businesses that are represented um, in this particular uh, program. I think that that sounds phenomenal. Uh, I'm just not hearing about it. I, I'm a, I love black history, especially Detroit black history. So um, I'm very interested in this. Detroit is different, is interested in this because of that. Yeah. So, um, you know, as those families, and there's so many more that you can just riddle off. Absolutely. Because, and we're... Know, it, it, it exists, as I said. Yeah. There was capital to do business uh, here with uh, with black people. And actually, a lot of those black businesses got, uh, <laughs> got their starts from numbers people. Absolutely. The numbers, man. <laughs> I think that um, with the programming, though, we don't want to just honor the history of things. Um, we try to create platforms for intergener intergenerational dialogue. So we'll also bring in newer businesses with this. We'll feature Sweet Potato Sensations, the okay. Thomas family. Um, and they've been actually around. They've uh, been around for a while. Just not as, they've been around for a while, too. Just not as long as the others. No. But 
this um and we also want to inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs and business owners and you know just spark some inspiration and provide some resources so this event is february 28th at tech town from six to eight okay um and paul riser jr son of paul riser um a motown alum is wow. going to moderate this discussion and provide some business expertise so it'll be a phenomenal event for, that for sounds, entrepreneurs that sounds great um and uh that sounds great. I definitely say tie into that. I know we're wrapping up our discussion. It ended up being uh, a great one. I want you all to come back. Uh, I do have the classic Detroit is different questions that I always ask people. I can't have you run out of here without asking these. Uh, very first car. Uh, what year did you get it? Uh, <laughs> what year and model was it? That's the first question. Okay. So this is funny. I actually didn't start driving till I was 20. So my first car I got a week after starting at Motown, and it was a 2015 <laughs> Ford Escape. Okay. How long did it last? Uh, I, I leased it for two years, and for my birthday, I traded in for a 2017. And I can't drive anything but Ford because of Mr. Settles. <laughs> okay. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Where was the first place you drove to when you got your car? I, the first place I drove was actually home <laughs> because um, oh, I didn't know if I made the right. I'm a Virgo, so I had to sit with this. Did I make the right decision? Was I cost effective? Did, should I have gotten a different color? So I drove home and sat in my driveway for about an hour. You did not go Maserati Rick style. I did mm. not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I wow. think my first, I know my first car was a Ford Probe, a red Ford Probe, and I got it in... So it had to be like eight. It was the first year they came out. So I think it was like 88. Mm. I think it was 88 um, okay. Ford Probe. And the first place I drove was probably um, at the time it was my boyfriend. Now he's my husband of 25 years. Uh, but I think I went to Curtis's home in Pontiac. Oh, he got a car. He was already walking down the aisle. All right. Um, it's the end of the fireworks. Uh, Jefferson and Woodward right at the intersection, and you're the DJ. You get to play three songs for the crowd. What three songs oh. are, you, are you playing? Oh, yikes. I'm playing Martha Reeves Dancing in the Streets. Okay, that's one. <laughs> I am playing Frankie Beverly and Maze before I let go. Okay. All right. But I would like two more selections from both of you. Yeah. We're just going to go back and forth. So we <laughs> can give think. us time to think. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm playing Marvin Gaye. Let's get it on. <laughs> uh oh. Because <laughs> the so I Marvin Gaye. Um, I am playing. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Can can we dance in September during the? Oh, fireworks? that's a good one. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> you're the DJ. Okay, <laughs> we're dancing so, in yeah, September. So September. Okay. <laughs> a lot of people have selected the elements. Yeah. My my final song. I'm playing. Um, Hello, Detroit, written by Barry Gordy, performed by Sammy Davis Jr. Okay. <laughs> I have to do a Motown song, so I am going to play Smokey Robinson cruising. Okay, okay. Strange mix there. But that's what I'm doing. <laughs> they were all over the place. It, 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 it's 
definitely an interesting mix. <laughs> you know, let's see. I, I don't even know. If I were to pick three Motown songs, uh, and it's the end of the fireworks, I like Dancing in the Street. That's a good one. I will play probably Going to a Go-Go uh, by Smokey Robinson and Miracles. I would play um, Brick House by the Commodores. Nice. A party song. Uh, and then I would play uh, Got to Give It Up by Marvin Gaye. Oh, that's a good one. Ooh, I like yeah. that. Uh, and last question, you can rename what we're after one D trader. Who would it be and why? Oh my god! Oh my goodness! I don't know. If I could rename Woodward, I'd rename it after. I'd rename it after Barry Gordy. Okay. And why? Uh, I I think what he created, I think he represents as as a Detroit um, citizen. I think he represents all of the creativity, innovation, ingenuity, everything that is um, positive about our city, put our city on the map um, and created an enormous amount of pride in the people of the city. And so I think seeing his name uh as woodward avenue would be a constant reminder of our greatness okay. that's a tough one to follow why can't i think of any detroiters ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, i don't know coleman young comes to mind but he's already so close to to what were the coleman young building but he's coming to mind for some reason because he represents to me resilience um i think he's iconoclastic he represents radical traditions and fearlessness and I think um one of the one of the symbols I I equate Detroit with is iron and metal and I think that he definitely represents that as a foundation that is good that is good I'm gonna say uh to both of those you know Coleman Young always gets he gets a lot of picks this is the second Barry Gordy pick and in that Barry Gordy pick and I was remiss to say this is uh, his daughter is somebody that is wonderful as well and you all should be working i don't know what can happen but we would change it to jackie wilson right in highland park because jackie mr entertainment absolutely and barry were working together all the time and as barry learned early on the best part of the music business to be in is definitely the executive as a form <laughs> to the performer or the writer but uh, that is a great interview Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.